Hello and welcome to the Shift HR Radio Download, where our mission is to serve as a valuable resource for HR professionals, business leaders, and anyone looking for information that will empower you to make positive and meaningful impacts in your workplace. My name is Karen Byington, and I'll be your host today. Transgender issues have become a hot topic of discussion in the media. In the past few years, we've had the very public transition of Caitlyn Jenner and court battles in North Carolina and Texas regarding transgender bathroom access, For many of these types of issues play out at a distance. They're happening somewhere else and they feel like they don't really affect us. And if you're like most people, you probably have very limited personal experience working or socializing with transgender men or women. But new studies have doubled the estimates of transgender individuals in the U.S. population. There are now estimates to be 1.4 million transgender adults in the U.S. That makes up about 0.6% of the population, a group large enough to cause employers to now sit up and pay attention and begin to plan how they can prepare to manage and ensure inclusion of transgender employees. So today I'm really happy to have Catherine Nook Freeman and Suzanne Sarah, the co-founders of Shift HR, back with me today, and they're going to be talking about some of the best practices for transgender inclusion in the workplace. So welcome back, Catherine and Suzanne. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Very happy to be here and excited to talk about this very interesting topic. Yeah, it's really a great time to be talking about these issues. Um, As transgender inclusion and transgender rights and protections are being discussed and expanded, more individuals are choosing to come out um, and live the life that they've been keeping closeted. So therefore, more important that we're making sure that we're staying on top of this now. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And just tying in with that earlier statistic that you shared of the 1.4 million in the U.S., one of our colleagues recently did a presentation on managing transgender employees, and she shared another statistic that the number of transgender individuals in the state of New Jersey, for example, approximately equals the number of active lawyers in the state. So when you put it in those terms, you really begin to understand that it's not quite an uncommon situation as you might have thought. Yeah, putting it in that way, it really makes you start to think about it very differently and that it really is more common than maybe we understood it to be. So do you find that employers, though, are hesitant in talking openly or making these changes and creating their transgender policies? Work, having worked with a lot of companies, what we see is that they just have so many competing priorities. And so what often happens is that they aren't really able or don't have the opportunity to confront these issues until they're presented with a specific situation in the workplace. So whether it's somebody coming to them and saying that they want to transition or another employee coming to them and saying that they have noticed that somebody's using the restroom who they weren't necessarily aware might be transitioning, we're finding that that's when a lot of the companies are trying are confronting this. And so, you know, what we're recommending to our clients is that they proactively think about the types of policies that they should have in place to try to get ahead of it and put the policies in place, do the training, and really get their employees understanding how these types of things are going to be handled proactively. And, you know, we we know that there are some employees in the workplace who might be uncomfortable, but part of the company's job is training them to ensure that, you know, they understand what the practices are. Right. And, And staying ahead of the curve is such an important point to make because it makes the transition 
so much easier. The last thing we want our clients to do is to wait until all of a sudden there's a situation where they have an employee who looks like a male but identifies as a female is using the female restroom and now employees are gossiping about it and joking about it and talking about it. And now the employer's scrambling to try to figure out what's their policy, what's their practice, how do we communicate this? So that's why to Suzanne's point, being proactive is so essential. Right. And I think it's also important to make sure that employers who may be hesitant to be too progressive because of these conservative employees that they don't want to offend. But you need to make sure that they're at least following the law and preventing any legal risks, right? Absolutely. And bringing their employees up to speed in this developing area. Because, for example, if their employees have read their harassment policies at their company or have gone through harassment training in years past, they may be aware that they can't make derogatory comments about somebody based on their race or their sex or their disability. But they may not be up to speed on the fact that they can't make derogatory comments, gossip, joke about somebody based on their transgender status. So it's much clearer when you, when you say to your employees, you can't tease somebody based on their race, than it might be saying you can't tease somebody based on their transgender and that's why education is so important in this area. Exactly. And along those lines, part of that training and education is reminding the employees that whatever their own personal value system is, mm-hmm. they have a legal obligation when they're in the workplace to treat people in a certain way and to, to conduct themselves in accordance with those practices. So we're not asking anyone to change their cultural or their religious beliefs, but the companies do need to insist that when you're in the workplace that you conduct yourself in a civil and professional way and follow the practices that have been put in place by the company. Um, and, and we're huge advocates in along with doing that and not only educating the employees as to what conduct's appropriate, what's not, but we try to go above and beyond and really build that empathy in every employee. One, because it creates a better workplace. If you have more employees with high EQ and higher levels of empathy, you're going to have a more open and accepting workplace. And secondly, it just creates fewer issues like this when people are more understanding of the positions of other people, including their transgender status. Yeah, and I I think you get to the the heart of it being creating empathy. And it reminds me of a story I was just just reading, um, and I, it really it really struck me because there was this woman, I believe I'll call her Jane, she's a transgender woman, and she was talking about how she was having a really difficult time after she transitioned in maintaining a relationship with her mother. Her mother was not supportive, could not understand, thought that she was making some really poor choices, um, and it became a really difficult situation. And one day this woman, Jane, went to visit her mother And she said, Mom, remember the story you used to always tell me about your teachers at school and how they would walk by your desk every day and move the pencil out of your left hand and put it into your right hand? And the mother said, yes, I'd always put that pencil right back in my left hand, and it made them crazy. Mm -hmm. And Jane said, yes, and do you remember what you told them to try and get them to stop changing you? And she said, yes, I told them, stop trying to change me. I was born this way, and I'm not going to change. And Jane said, I always love that story and how you stood up for yourself. And then she told her mother, don't you see? This is exactly how I feel. I was born this way. No matter how hard you want to help me by changing, I just need to be me. And it just struck me because I think it's really hard for some of us who haven't had any exposure or socialized with someone who's transgender to understand why someone would go through that process. And this really kind of creates that empathy and trying to understand what it must 
feel like to be forced to change when you know you you are a, born a different way. Yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly the kind of powerful storytelling that we try to do through our training because, again, the goal is really to try to get everybody to understand that um, we're all we're all struggling with different issues, and you know, a lot of times we don't even know what's under the surface with our coworkers, um, and really trying to create opportunities for employees of all different backgrounds to put themselves in another person's shoes and think about how it would feel if they were being ostracized for something that they wanted, that they believed in, or that they you know felt like they needed to do to be them tr- their true selves. So those kinds of stories. Are really critical in training to try to build that type of empathy among among coworkers. Yeah, really powerful. And so, before I'm excited to hear what your best practice suggestions are, and I'm sure all our listeners do too. Um, but I thought maybe before we dive too far into that, maybe you could just go over some terminology because for those of us that aren't, you know, delving into this topic all the time, there's some you know words and phrases we may use in our discussion that they may not be familiar with. Absolutely, and I think I think the majority of people probably aren't familiar with these terms. So we'll go over the basic terms. Transgender, for example, that refers to a broad range of people who experience and or express their gender differently from what most people expect. Gender identity is uh, another simple term. It refers to a person's internal sense of being male, female, or something else regardless of what they look like. Cisgender is another term, and that is actually when someone's gender identity and their genitalia match. And then transition is the process through which a person modifies their physical characteristics and or gender expression to be consistent with their gender identity, although statistics show that this physical transformation usually only occurs in about 5% of the transgender population for many reasons. It's major surgery, it's expensive, et cetera, et cetera. But so the transition is either that physical process, which would include the hormone therapy, sex reassignment, et cetera, but it also includes non-medical components for the vast majority of transgender individuals, such as telling one's family, friends, coworkers, officially changing one's name and gender on legal documents, such as their driver's license, birth certificates, social security cards, et cetera, um, starting to dress differently. Again, the non-medical components related to their transgender status. So now that I hopefully these terms are a little bit more clear for those who this might be their their first dive into this, maybe can you start now with some of the best practices that you have uh, for employers? Uh, absolutely. So we'll talk really just at a high level about three buckets, three different areas where we think employers should be considering modifying um, their practices and really kind of the areas where they should be paying attention. So the first, and this one's tricky, but that is for employers to stay abreast of the current law. And we're laughing because it's changing rapidly, as we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But there are federal, state, and local laws that all impact transgender protections. Um, There are laws coming out of the EEOC, which is the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. There are laws coming or or guidance coming out of the, the Department of Justice. Um, and then there's you know state and federal case law on this on this topic. So we'll we'll talk about the specifics there in a few minutes. But so the first thing is to really try to stay on top of the current law. The second is to update and revise uh, employment policies and practices to make sh- to make sure that they are consistent not only with the law but the best practices, which again we'll discuss. 
Um, and we, we strongly recommend that this include ensuring that every company has a transition plan for their workplace. Um, and, you know, that could be something very simple or it could be something more comprehensive. But it's really, again, to Catherine's point earlier, important that companies think of this proactively so that when somebody is approaches them about transitioning, that they have everything uh, worked out in advance. And third, and this, is, this one, you know, takes time, and that is to make sure that companies are taking steps to ensure that workplace culture is welcoming and inclusive of transgender employees. Again, regardless of what people's personal feelings might be, when you are in the workplace, everyone has an obligation to conduct themselves in a certain way, and that's being civil and kind and professional to their coworkers, and that comes through through training and workshops and a lot of hard work on the part of the employer. Right, not something you could change overnight, but no. really important to work towards. Very much. Yeah. And I, I think it keeps coming back to the whole employees have to have the mindset that treating one of their colleagues differently because of their transgender status would be just as problematic as treating them differently because of their race. And you know, I had an interesting question posed to me by one of my clients a few weeks ago, and they said that they had one of their employees who, for religious beliefs, felt incredibly uncomfortable being assigned a seat next to a transgender individual, and they wanted to move from that individual. And I responded to the client that you could basically equate that request with a request from a white person saying that they did not feel comfortable sitting next to a black employee. And you really need to look at it from that lens and, and that these are, these are protected characteristics. The law wants people to be treated equally amongst these different identities. Right. And there actually is case law out there where you have these kind of competing will say, perceptions, mm-hmm. um, where it commonly comes up is where somebody has a religious belief that, for example, there's there's been cases where because of somebody's religious belief, they didn't want to have a female employee waiting on them or working on them like in a bank setting. And the law has held that, you know, discrimination laws trump somebody's personal mm-hmm. preference. Mm-hmm. So, again, to Catherine's point... Um, it's just a really important thing for employers to understand. It is. And I think putting it in that way where you're equating it with some other protected so characteristic, it becomes crystal clear that mm-hmm. what you're doing is, you know, is not right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I know that you mentioned that the legal backdrop on this is extremely complex, but maybe you could just give us a quick summary of where things stand at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so t- treetop overview. I think most of our listeners are probably aware that the federal law at play here is Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, and that law prohibits employers from discriminating against employees with respect to compensation terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of an individual's race, color, religion, national origin, or sex is the big word. And it's the big word because the question really is, okay, if you're prohibiting discrimination and harassment based on sex, does transgender status fall under the definition of sex? And that's where there's, um, you know, there's a split in the courts right now. You have, in addition to cases that are interpreting Title VII, you have the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, which in fact interprets Title VII's reference to sex to in fact include transgender status and sexual orientation status. And the EEOC has even filed lawsuits on behalf of employees who have been harassed 
and or discriminated against on that basis. So what that means is that even if it's not clear whether an employee can file a lawsuit claiming a violation under Title VII based on harassment or discrimination on account of their transgender status, they can, in any state, go to the EEOC and file a charge with the EEOC, and the EEOC, again, does consider sex to include transgender status. Right, and there's been a lot of press over the last week or so because the recent administration just issued some guidance coming out of the Department of Justice saying that Title VII's prohibition doesn't protect transgender status, but what we're seeing is that because of the EEOC's position and because of the fact that many states, including New Jersey, New York, and many others, have state discrimination laws that protect people based on their transgender status, we're seeing that most of our clients, in fact, I think probably all of them that we've worked with, are considering it to be a best practice to include transgender status as a protected category and making it um, a prohibited form of mm-hmm. discrimination within their workplace. Also, just from a cultural perspective, you know, they're all really striving to have the highest standards and they want to make all their employees feel welcome and included. And I think it's really important from a cultural perspective. So what we're seeing really is that it is the best practice to protect transgender employees, regardless of where the law is ultimately going to shake out on the federal level. Yeah, and it really does seem that best practice at this point should really trump the laws changing so fast that as long as your best practices are ahead of where the laws mm-hmm. are and being progressive and upfront about it, it's probably you know the safest place to be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So speaking of best practices, a couple that employers should definitely keep in mind um, are, you know, first, consider access to bathrooms and other facilities. The EEOC takes the position that transgender individuals are entitled to use the bathroom with which they feel most comfortable based on their personal gender identity. So regardless of what they may look like, if they identify as a male, they should be allowed to use the restroom for men. If they identify as a female, they should be allowed to use the restroom for women. Um, Another best practice is make sure to maintain, make sure that all your employees, not just human resources, but managers and other employees know that maintaining the confidentiality of somebody's transgender status is, is absolutely crucial. And you don't want to have your managers or your other employees disclosing an otherwise confidential um, transgender status of, of one of your employees. Gender neutral dress codes, <clears throat> also should be implemented so they're not based on the sex of an individual, but instead would allow room for you know transgender individuals to dress as they identify. Uh, it's also a great idea to establish a workplace transition plan even before you need it. So, and of course it would be a living, breathing document where you can modify it as you see what works best for your employees and your organization. Also, as an employer, you'll want to consider health insurance benefits and make sure that the benefits that you're offering to your employees don't discriminate on the basis of one's transgender status and instead would, for example, include the medical transitioning process. And then finally, you absolutely want to make sure that your prevention of harassment and discrimination policies um, discuss this issue of prohibiting 
harassment or discrimination on the basis of transgender status, and your training should begin to address that as well to, again, continue to educate your workforce. So you mentioned um, in the middle of there about um, creating a transition plan, and maybe can you just dive a little bit deeper into what does a transition plan include? What does that involve? Absolutely, yeah. So this is really the document that would almost be a reference point back for whichever employees of your organization are going to be handling the transition. So some companies choose to publish it. Others keep it as an internal document. Um, at a minimum, we recommend that in a, in a handbook or a policy that you identify a company representative to whom somebody can speak or with whom somebody can speak in the event that they want to talk about anything related to transgender issues, transitioning, et cetera. So the plan itself would have very detailed instructions to the people at the company who are going to have access to this information about how important it is to maintain confidentiality. Um, in fact, you know, it's, it's really something that the transgender uh, employee gets to decide if and when his or her uh, transition status or gender is discussed among the company. And that's really important that the people that are going to have access to this information understand how important it is to keep this information um, confidential. Then it usually also has a section that details the initial conversation or planning discussion with the employee who may or may not be transitioning. Again, it's like a checklist of things to talk with them about. You know, are they planning to have any type of... Um, medical procedure that would require time off? Um, have they thought about the pronoun they'd like to use? Are they changing their name? Do they need to change company documents? So it's really more of a checklist for the person who's going to be having the conversation with the employee. Um, There's really so much more to think about there than I think most employers or even probably the transitioning employee even thought that they had to consider. Exactly. And you don't want to have to handle those on one-offs and try and decide or scramble to make sure that you're doing all those steps. So this is really smart. Exactly. We don't want the company to forget anything, but we also want the employee to feel comfortable that they're in good hands when they come to talk with the company representative about all the different things that might need to be updated. Um, and then a big thing is thinking about how to prepare the team um, if and when the employee is going to make an announcement, or even if they're not, thinking about how you prepare the team um, for the fact that somebody might be coming back with a different name or a different appearance, wanting to use different restroom facilities. Again, it's kind of a check, checklist of things that, that should be discussed with the, um, the team. A big issue that comes up frequently is the use of pronouns, and the EEOC has also taken the position that intentional misuse or misgendering is could be considered an unlawful employment practice. And so even if people think that it's, it may perceive it as a minor thing, it's, it's, it's not to the transitioning employee and it's not to the EEOC. So really, again, educating and making employees aware of how important it is to respect the employee's request for pronoun use. Right. And I think what makes that stand out is, you know, some of these things are hard to put in if you haven't experienced it, to see how that would play out. But I was listening to someone, a transgender man speaking, and he was saying that, um, you know, he was had this realm of confidentiality and he knew only certain people knew. And there was a person who, by mistake or on purpose, used the improper pronoun, but they were in front of a client. So this client wasn't aware that this person had transitioned. And by using the wrong pronoun, all of a sudden outed somebody who wanted their transgender status to be, you know, confidential and personal and not have clients know. So the use of pronouns is so much more important than just 
it being a slip, it can be something that's really outing someone that doesn't want to be out. That's an mm-hmm. excellent point. Not only impacting that person, but it is technically a breach of the confidentiality right. that they're obligated to uphold. So that's a great point. And then, you know, there's usually a section on really just that first day and the integration back into the workplace of somebody that's gone through a, a transition. And then just, again, ideas for how you can communicate and follow up with the, the employee once they've transitioned to make sure that all the things we're talking about are um, being upheld and things are going smoothly for them. Right. So you mentioned um, the importance of making sure you're preparing the team and having everyone ready. So what are some tips that you have for ensuring that a company and an organization is doing everything they can to create a workplace culture that's inclusive and that it's welcoming to these transgender employees that they may have, if not today, in the future? I mean, I think the big ones we've covered already, which is really the the training, the training and the educating of the workplace and building that empathy. And it really all revolves around culture and companies who really care about developing and growing their culture are going to be committed to that type of education and empathy building. And what about those employees, like you mentioned before, that seem to be the most um, uncomfortable in, in dealing with this? So an employer knows that they have to roll out the training and all, but yet they receive some resistance from employees who say that the whole topic makes them uncomfortable? You know, I think it's simply that they need to understand that the, the policies require certain behavior as a baseline. And then beyond that, it's every employee's job to really make sure they play a part in creating a welcoming culture. So you comply with the law, you comply with your policies as a baseline, but really every employee should be charged with growing the culture and maintaining the culture of, of the organization. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are, you know, they're doing a good balancing act of acknowledging that while this is unfamiliar territory for many of their employees, um, and again, everyone's entitled to their own personal beliefs, that when you come into the workplace, um, that there is a certain level of behavior that's just expected if you want to be an employee in that particular workplace. And sometimes employees will say, well, what about my right to freedom of speech? Can I speak out if I'm against this particular behavior or this identity? And the bottom line is, to Suzanne's point earlier, the laws that prohibit harassment and discrimination in the workplace trump any individual's right to freedom of speech in the workplace, and they really take precedence. So, Catherine and Suzanne, it's been so fascinating to talk about this topic, and there's so much more to managing this population of employees, I think, than most people have even realized. So do you have any last words of advice for our listeners before we sign off? I think it's one of the big things we've touched on, which is basically trying to stay up, stay on top of the law, but regardless of the law, really understanding that these are the best practices that are being followed by the majority of companies, making sure that workplace policies and practices are up to date, And then most importantly, taking the time to invest in training employees about transgender inclusion in the workplace so that um, you're building this culture that you want and you are really heading off a lot of the issues that are going to arise if you wait and try to handle this reactively instead of proactively. That's great. Well, thank you both so much for being here. And listeners, I hope you found this as as informative as I have. And you're always welcome to reach out for more information. The best way to reach us is on our website, getshifthr.com, and you'll find phone numbers and email addresses, and we're happy to get back in touch with you. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Karen.